Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. Have you been struggling to look after your community or wondering how to build robust, long-lasting communities? Have you thought of being inspired by ancient Irish Celtic mythology and ancient Irish political structures? Well, this is the podcast for you. Sandy Dunlop takes us through a very, very unique perspective on community building. Hold on to your seats. This one is going to blow your mind. Sandy, welcome back to the Fireside with Voxgate podcast. The last time you were on, I think we were talking about the power of storytelling. Uh, this time, I come to you with another set of interesting challenges and thoughts. Um, we're talking about the place of developer relations in organizations, uh, something that we in the DevRel community often struggle with. Um, and we also struggle with the idea that uh, our organizations want to measure us, whereas we understand that you can't build communities by measuring them. Uh, you have to take a different, more decentralized approach. Uh, and the reason I've asked you on is I think you have some really important insights from ancient Irish mythology and political history that are directly relevant to the role of the developer advocate in the modern software as a service organization. So welcome. Welcome. It's good to have you on. Well, thank you, Richard. Um, I think let us start perhaps by... Um, talking about how the ancient Irish mythologies are a little bit different perhaps from other Western European mythologies and why that happened historically? Well, uh, yes. Well, one of the main reasons is that uh, it, the it's a fact of history. Uh, the Roman, The Romans never got to Ireland. And what that meant was uh, that there was a very vibrant indigenous oral tradition, which was perpetuated by a bardic class and passed on from generation to generation. Now, one of the things that the Romans did is they wiped out the indigenous oral traditions of the countries that they invaded. And because they never got to Ireland, they obviously didn't didn't do that. One of the most significant um, aspects of the Irish myth tradition has to do with an important organizational matter, which is the Greco-Roman tradition was very hierarchical, very um, much about centralized power, uh, and had a linear logical approach to operating, whereas the Irish were a much more tribal society and didn't believe that hierarchy or centralizing was necessarily a good thing. They believed in a distributed power uh, idea, and inherent in that is that you're working and working on an assumption of networked relationships rather than hierarchical. 
And what that means is that uh, hierarchy is predicated on the foundational relationship being one of boss and subordinate. You're either boss or subordinate or effectively peer, but the power runs through the boss-subordinate relationship. Whereas a network necessarily operates on the basis of we're all equal, we just have different roles. So that foundational starting point is absolutely hugely significant. Um, And so one of the things that uh, I've been doing is, uh, I, I mean, I spent most of my life working on global brands in very hierarchical global companies, but often they had to get things done on a network way, and that's often where we would come in. And essentially, what I understand from your network relation uh, relationships is that it's probably much better to understand them as a network of equals uh, rather than hierarchical. And that is also the case with um, clubs, communities, um, or uh, whole sectors like I did some work with the voluntary and community sector. It was very disparate. Um, and the, the problem is they'll remain disparate unless you uh, have some way of bringing them together. So the ancient Irish, uh, and this is encoded within the stories, had a term for uh, provinces, which was Cúiga. And Cúiga if you know any Irish, means five. Well, why five when there's Munster, Leinster, Connacht, and Ulster? And the reason for the five is that they had a wonderful idea, and the idea was of the fifth province. And geographically, uh, or maybe imaginatively, the fifth province was a place of the imagination, but it was also uh, thought to be Tara, which was the political centre, and Ishnuk. And what is extremely important uh, is to understand how the fifth province operates within a distributed power system. Because if it doesn't operate, you end up with um, a bit of chaos. And uh, one uh, popular TV series or I enjoyed was Game of Thrones. And effectively, you had the seventh province And we saw, as we came to the end of the series, without the fifth province, which they didn't have because King's Landing just was a viper's nest of scheming, you end up with the various provinces uh, creating mayhem. And they were continually continually fighting each other. I mean, in the mythical history there, for thousands of years, they've been fighting. It's a continuous cycle, right? Right. You end up with a civil war. And Game of Thrones was based on the English Civil War. So... If you've got a distributed power system, it's likely to be a fight unless you find a way of bringing it together. And that's why I think this uh, these ancient texts lay out a extremely relevant modus operandi for how to work in distributed power networks. And one of the problems is that most of the uh, academic thinking around management, well, not most of it, virtually all of it's predicated on um, 
uh, the hierarchy, and uh, and that's that's how it works, and and, and it doesn't work well in a network. And we you... see this in we we do, and just to kind of bring it back to our our topic, right? Developer relations and companies that are trying to sell software. Uh, companies that have uh, integration points for developers. Uh, we as developers, when we see these companies, we can easily divide them in our minds into companies that understand developers and those that don't, right? Those which will treat us well and those which won't. Um, and what, and again, this is kind of the reason I invited you on. We're trying to examine the idea of why why some companies appear to be developer friendly. And I'm really intrigued by the idea that maybe it's because they have possibly inadvertently, definitely uh, unconsciously somehow created this idea of this fifth province. Um, and they appear to be they appear to be organizations that value distributed relationships. Uh, but let's let's talk about this fifth province idea a bit more, right? Is there a practical way that the ancient Irish implemented it? How did it work? Well, yeah, I can get onto that. But in, in relation to the point that you've just made, one of the things a developer would intuitively know very quickly is their nose would tell them mm. whether they were operating with a culture whose attitude was essentially hierarchical. In other words, I am better than you, or one that was genuinely um, more you know, we're in this together. What can you offer? What can I offer? Can we build a consensus? So their nose would tell them pretty quickly whether they're likely to be, um, I, I mean, I'm kind of assuming that developer-friendly means operating more on we're both equals. Now, what can exactly. you offer? Exactly. What, what do I need? So, uh, so, so in a way, their nose would tell them from bad experiences because in a way, in a very hierarchical company, the, the likelihood is that the attitude to developers is almost that they're a cost and not much more. It's a transaction. Mm -hmm. It's a transactional relationship that uh, is based on, you know, money. And but if the inherent attitude is I'm going to measure you and I'm going to judge you on things that are quite short term and um and I I've always got the power to terminate it um it's a then, signal it's a signal you can't really fake isn't it? I mean it has to well, be part of the deep value system of the organization well one of the things is you can say I'm developer friendly yeah but the developer will smell a mile off Yes, they will know, and actually, I would imagine that they're inherently suspicious of say people who say it uh, and put it in there. We're developer friendly because why do they need to? They would intuitively know from experience uh, the culture that they're dealing with, and one of the things about a good developer is that they. I would guess most many of them, the really good ones, are driven more by the passion of solving the problem uh, 
And so it's right. an emo- yes. it's an emotional investment in a journey that you have to believe that the person with whom you're working um, has patience and faith, and it can be <clears throat> a relationship of reciprocity. And uh, you can make mistakes; otherwise, it becomes fear-driven and stress-driven. Well, okay. Uh, so, th- so this th- th- this kind of goes to my interest in the mechanics of making this work because I've personally seen organizations that are developer-friendly, but they are that way because the cent- the core leadership, the founders, are developers or share that value system. But what ha- inevitably happens is the company gets sold or new investors come in and it all gets torn down and taken apart. Uh, and there's actually a recent example of a certain uh, computer games engine company that started off being developer-friendly and then changed their terms of business and has now caused great uproar. Um, and communities have dissolved as a result. Uh, so how did ancient Irish culture preserve that mechanic that decentralization without a dictator arising and trying to take over everything right how did i mean you you can i suppose you you did mention the romans you can think of a parallel with the the fall of the roman republic and caesar becoming the first emperor i don't know if that's an analogy but what what are the mechanics of of preserving distribute preserving the distribution of power and safeguarding yourself from dictators well by the way, hierarchies work in in certain circumstances. Yes, and the, absolutely. The Roman right. Empire was very effective. <clears throat> and if you're running an established business uh, and producing, you know, a thousand cars a week or twenty thousand bottles of Domestos every week, uh, hierarchical principles and procedures. And if you're running a military operation, an army, hierarchy works. But if you're running something that's creative and generative and developmental, hierarchy uh, is an, uh, very often quite counterproductive. And one of the things in that story that you've just told, Richard, is that a foundationally networked culture <laughs> would have been sold to a foundationally hierarchical and the foundational assumptions on which these and it would come down to a relationship of a developer with the company would be fundamentally changed yeah and uh the company wouldn't even know it's doing it the hierarchical company wouldn't even know and wouldn't have a sense of the effect so it's a complete culture change yeah um, and one of the one of the things about communities of creative people is that they're um there are the analogy i quite like is a spider's web they're built up of a web of relationships that's hard wrought but one jackboot on the web and the web can disintegrate incredibly quickly mm, i like that so i like that metaphor yeah they're incredibly delicate they're a web of relationships that's built up over a you know, three people solving a problem or having a meal together or a few drinks or something. And, or, but often it's, it's sort of being on professional journeys together. But anyway, back to your second question, which is, um, 
what is the characteristic of the fifth province uh, that is so central uh, in these Irish texts, right at the core. Now, one of the reasons for this fifth province thinking is that the early Irish are the people who came from somewhere else. Ireland doesn't have its indigenous uh, foundation myth. They came from somewhere else, and often there was a trauma like a flood or a famine or something or a plague, and they left. They came and they left. So in a way, uh, the, the Irish in their mythologies are the people from somewhere else. So they know what it's like to be an exile or an outsider. And most developers are the same. They're outsiders in a sense. But they would have also experienced in their exile examples of um, oppressive, um, cruel leadership. So one of the groups had come back had experienced a lot of hardship and a lot of grief. And their whole thinking, in a way, would have been predicated on that. So in a way, the thinking would have come from experience. And what it would have been is, how do you operate an alternate to this hierarchy and particularly this oppressive hierarchy? So there's three ingredients, uh, three core skills. The first is the bardic skill, the storytelling. And what will happen with a successful network is that there will be a body of stories that build up. And typically, the stories build up from the experiences. Uh, and the storyteller was hugely valued. Now, one important thing to note is that this was an oral culture because the Irish didn't have writing. And what that meant was that the bards were the people who carried the oral tradition and carried it on from generation to generation. And when someone entered, they would have been in this, joined the culture, they would have been brought into the stories of the culture. Uh, so, uh, and two of the functions of the of the, the bardic was praise. So they would operate on the praise of what was outstanding rather than some sort of punishment. Uh, and the second would have been satire. They would have been a kind of satirical undercurrent, which was a form of keeping the culture together. The second function was the judicial one. And the judicial one is brilliantly articulated in an Irish legal system called the Brehan Laws. And the really important thing about the Brehan Laws is that they were about a restorative justice system, not a retributive justice system. Oh, it was about punishment. It was about an injustice that had been done. So let's take uh, the example of the spider's web. Someone's broken a few webs, uh, a few threads in the relationship. What was of paramount importance was that the broken webs get restored so that the person who had um, caused the harm would have been given a, a job which was about the restoration of the relationship. Because what was of paramount importance 
was holding the web of relationships together. So within the uh, restorative legal system, uh, the Breton laws, there would have been a set of rules commonly agreed and embodied very often within the stories as well. But a group of um, Brehans, judges, um, who were as well trained as the storytellers, would have um, been uh, guardians, essentially. And typically what it would have been is facilitating a process that was restorative of the uh, of what had happened to hold the web of relationships together and the third function was the sovereign function the king and there was a high king and the high king would be a different role from a provincial king and and the high king uh in a way had a, a a couple of functions but one of them was that the service to the whole is more important than anything and the stories would highlight you cannot use your power to benefit you and yours you 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 have to make leadership interventions in a way that's for the whole and the more power you had, the more restrictions that there were on you. They were called gases. And one of the gases, important gases, would have been, thou shalt not favor thine own pocket over other people's. And there's a high king called Conor Amor who makes a judgment in favor of his foster brothers. So family uh, is, is treated more importantly and unfairly to the other people. And he's broken a gasser, and the effect is that the whole system starts to break down. So the fact that you have the power of the high king doesn't mean you have unconstrained power. You have um, a lot of restrictions on you that are to do with uh, essentially serving the greater good. Uh, but there's one other very important uh, detail, which is that the body part for the sacred center was not the head was not the heart it was the kidney and there were two kidneys in in the fifth province uh in the myths it would have been tara the political uh kidney or uh, sacred center and, and ishta which was the cultural one and it, it, i didn't know what a kidney really did so i looked it up and one of the things that's very central is the kidney plays a balancing role it's not more important it's a balancing role between the systems so if we apply that bodily metaphor to the um to this organizational principle it would have been the the balancing of the various um uh bits of the system now one final thing is that every single one of the tribes had special gifts and qualities. Sometimes they were shared. So it was built around the respective strengths. And one of the roles of the high king would have been to bring these respective strengths together into a unifying whole to address the issues that were there at the time.
there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to learn from that. Um, we're and I mean at this my my thoughts now are okay. I actually need to study this in <laughs> in more detail and reflect on it and think about it. Um, and if if you take what you've just said and you think about uh, people who moderate online communities and have to deal with um, trolls and difficult members. Uh, and some people seem to be very good at it and others not. And some communities uh, are healthy and then they become unhealthy. And other communities are, have clearly just been set up for the for the commercial purposes of a given company. Um, it's very inspiring for those of us who work in developer relations to think about a greater purpose, I suppose, one would say, for the community. and by having that uh, maintain their health. Um, and I, what the other interesting thing that strikes me is this idea of the bardic tradition, right? This is definitely an analogy with what we do in terms of writing blog posts and running webinars and that type of stuff. And also this idea of satire, irreverence, because that's an important aspect of, I don't know, perhaps uh, decentralizing power. Well, the... The point about the good satirist is they have the ear of the community, and very often they're very funny and mm. very, very smart. You know, some of the smartest people you'd ever meet are the comedians. They're as sharp as a razor. And in the ancient Irish system, uh, the satirist, uh, Brick Crew um, or Cabra, they had the power. They could get rid of a high king by 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 satire but there's one other thing that i think you might be interested in is how do you hold such a community together mm. and uh, again the ancient irish had a, a brilliant way of doing it uh or uh and it has to do with a very different approach to the calendar and to time right uh, okay okay and um the Western typical approach to time is is chronos. It's sort of linear. It proceeds in that direction, always making progress. The ancient Irish um, had a very different approach. It was more built around the agricultural uh, system, and it was they had four big events in the year: Imbolc, which is February the first. It's now Bridget's Day. Uh, Bealtaine, uh, Lunasa, and Samhain. And what I've been doing in working with communities, because the one I've, I've done that's been particularly successful was with a, a rugby club, Terenure Rugby, that was uh, in the third division when we started working. And last year, they won the AIL. So we went, from, we went from nowhere to, um, to top. And one of the things we were proudest about was that They'd never had more than 2,100 people watching the AIL final. But um, uh, we uh, got, uh, we were in the final the year before, which we'd lost, but uh, narrowly. We um, got 6,100. So the numbers trebled. And then last year, we had 8,600. Um, now, that, uh, proud of that. But, mm. uh, but the RF, you are a bit cross with us because one of our, person people had misbehaved and so they're having a bit of a uh uh 
thumbs down for us. But uh, we're pleased with what we've achieved. And that's we got it going using these ideas. And we used to have seeding events where we tell stories and throw ideas up. But that's not enough. You can have a good event of drink and partying and storytelling. People feel good. You've got to keep it going. And that's where using what's essentially an event pool system of seeding, first fruits, harvest, celebration, and ending. And then it starts again the next year. Networks, like everything, are always falling apart. The in systems thinking, it's negative entropy. So unless you're working to counter negative entropy, you are falling apart. So you need a system of events. And the way they work is not hierarchical, because in between the events, work needs to happen. And you cannot manage it using top-down hierarchical controls or measures. It works much better if you use uh, an event pull system, and the reason that the uh, projects that are the multiple projects proceed so well is because none of the network want to look bad at the next event. It's a bit like you know you, you don't want to. What what matters more is you don't want to turn up to the next event, which a bunch bunch of excuses as to why you haven't delivered. So it works on an event pool system. So you use this term event pools. What what is that exactly? Well, most hierarchical systems work on management push. The the manager would measure you and kick butt if you hadn't with the threat of you won't get promoted or at worst you'll get fired. That doesn't work very well in a network because it's it's not a hierarchical relationship. So it has to be consensual. So what works much better is the fact that you've agreed at the seeding event certain outcomes, and then someone needs to be going, the network coordinator, the the high king, needs to be going from project to project. And then what you do is you tell stories of the incredible success of Project 5, and then everyone listens to it and says, holy shit, I better get off my butt because I don't want to turn up to the seat first fruits events and I'm listening to what great job project six has done and I've under delivered. So people get off their butt. Now they do it because of peer pressure, not because of hierarchy. So it works on a, a very powerful emotion, the fear of being shamed. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. want to be embarrassed at the next meeting because you want to be proud of what you've done. So shame and pride is the mechanism, not fear, which is how a hierarchy, the emotion a hierarchy operates in is fear. Uh, a network operates on shame and pride. And you get that system going and you can achieve what, you can be better than you ever thought. The network can be better than it ever thought it could be. Have you have you written this down? There, <laughs> do you have do you have um, articles or, or or even a? Well, what 
what we're doing is we're starting uh, I, the thing I've been interested in. Most of my work was in global brands, but I absolutely love these this old wisdom tradition. So we're starting in bardmythologies.com. We're starting a three year immersion. It, it you know it, it's you know a couple of hours a week for eight weeks, three times a year to immerse people in this wisdom tradition and. Uh, um and i i will be putting it together a bit because um but I, in a way the stories that people tell as a result of hearing the stories so we will be starting with uh the mythological cycle where these prints in in january uh or maybe early february with an immersion in uh the mythological cycle um and if people are interested they could subscribe to bardmythologies.com and we we'll send out a newsletter because the, the and, and also on bard mythologies you can listen to the stories um ah, where fabulous these fabulous. The, the principles are laid out so in a way you know if you're going on a run or want to relax one evening just uh put on your earphones and the best way to get into it is listen to the stories reading this just doesn't really work very well it just becomes tedious but they're meant to be they're meant to be they're meant to be heard it's all about oral culture so in a way the thing that holds a network together is the evanescent oral stories and you do something wrong and the stories will spread like wildfire and suddenly your network has disappeared yeah and the art and the ancient irish understood it brilliantly is how do you hold a network together sandy marvelous <laughs> i i usually i i usually have sub observation but you know what i um i really need to sit down and think through this a little bit before i say anything Right. Completely trite to end this because um, I've been involved for so long in uh, technical communities, online and offline. Um, but they've always it always seemed relatively random whether they were healthy or not. Or well, I, I never had a structure to really understand them. This is qu- quite powerful. Well, you see, what would have happened is the bards would have gone from tribe to tribe. And they would have observed high-performing tribes and low-performing tribes. They would have seen what worked. And the worst of the traumas, you can survive a flood, you can survive a plague, you can survive a, uh, anything. The one thing that tears you apart is a civil war. Yeah. Oh, completely. Completely. So it can just, a community can just fragment. and. In a way, that's what's happening in America. They don't understand the power of the fifth province. They've lost their fifths. And the only option when you've lost the fifths is some version of what Daenerys Targaryen did to King's Landing or what's happening in America. It's yeah. just low-grade yeah. civil war the whole time. And it, yes, it, and, and, it, and, it, and we've seen it happen in the small as well, in, in many technical communities. Uh, Sandy, thank you so much. Yeah. It's been, well, <laughs> uh, to say insightful would be to do it an injustice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Okay. Great. Well, 
Thank you. And give us a shout if you want another one. Well, <laughs> Absolutely. Let, me know when, let me know when it's coming out, too. <laughs> we certainly will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgeek.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgeek.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgeek. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.